We'll just do this. How are you guys doing today? A little bit better. All right. Man, hey, if this is your first time with us in person or online, or if this is your first time back with us in a really long time, we are glad you're here. And I just want to say, welcome home. Welcome home. It's good to have you join us. So whether you're in person, you're watching us from your living room, you're on vacation, we know some of you are joining us from some nice sunny spots. We got rain today here in Louisville, so we're not jealous of where you're joining us from on vacation online, but we are glad you're here. And today we are wrapping up our home improvement series. Now, have you ever been with a friend and they took a phone call and they were talking on the phone and you, like, they weren't trying to hide the conversation, so you couldn't help but listen in, right? You've been in that situation. And, and what do you do, right, in that situation? Because they're talking, and you're sitting there, and you can't help but overhear. And if you're like most people, you try to figure out what's going on in that conversation, right? You're trying to figure out what the person on the other end of the phone is saying based on the responses you're hearing from the person you're with, right? And sometimes you're listening, and you're thinking, what in the world prompted that response. What what are they talking about right now? One of my good buddies used to be the head of the homicide unit at at the police force in a large city in Illinois. And from time to time, while he was overseeing the homicide unit, he would get phone calls about new cases. And so he'd be driving in his car and he'd answer the phone and he'd have to, you know, have the conversation. Well, sometimes when that happened, his wife was sitting in the car with him. And oftentimes, his two girls were sitting in the back seat right behind him. Now, you can imagine the kinds of questions he had to ask to get a better grasp on that case. And you can imagine the kind of information he had to process out loud to get a feel for what was going on in that case. All the while with his wife and his daughters in the vehicle. And you can imagine how excited his wife was when he would answer those phone calls and have those conversations with her two little girls right behind him, right? Well, that's kind of the situation that we have in the New Testament with the letters that we have in the New Testament. We often refer to them as books, but more accurately, they are letters written back and forth. And we have a correspondence here in the New Testament, but it's really like listening into one side of the phone conversation. We only have one side. Uh, the early church leaders planted churches all throughout the Mediterranean region. And then they, they corresponded with those leaders in the churches and the people in those churches through letters. They would write letters back and forth. And we don't have any of the letters from the churches to those church leaders, which we did. I think it would be really exciting to read those. I, I think it would be enlightening, but we don't have those. But what we do have are many of the letters that those church leaders wrote back in response to the churches. And that's what we find in 1 Corinthians. Paul was dialoguing back and forth through letters with the leaders at the church at Corinth. Now, God was inspiring Paul as he responded to those leaders and and the people in the church. And Paul was a missionary in the early church. He was a church planner. He was also the one God had used to plant the church, to found that church there in Corinth. And so they wrote a letter to Paul, and Paul responded to him. And we're going to pick it up today in that letter, in chapter 7, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And Paul says, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter. Now again, I wish we had that letter, but we don't. But what we do have is a pretty good understanding of the questions they were asking based on the way Paul was responding to them. Yes, it is good to abstain from the hootie hoo. Listen, we've got some little ones in the room today, so we're going to use some euphemisms and keep this PG 
for all the Umanabi family friendly. All right. So it says it's good to abstain from the hoodie hoop. But because there is so much immorality on that area, uh, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. So it's pretty obvious to know what question they were asking. Like, hey, Paul, you mean we got to stop doing that? I mean, come on, Paul. Like, isn't there some other concession we can make here? And Paul's telling him, no, no, you got you to abstain from that. And Paul goes on and says, I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with desire. All right. So Paul's saying, listen, if you're not married and you have those temptations. It's better to go ahead and get married. Now, Paul, right, in this letter, he's saying there's one place, one place that it is okay to have the whoop-de-whoop, right? It says you get it in any other place or you, you, you go chasing that in any other context and you're going to mess it up. You're going to mess up the gift that God is giving you. And Paul says here, you know, abstain from that. Abstain from that in any other context. And Paul's instructing them to avoid doing that because he's looking out for them, right? He says, I know that there's difficulty staying self-controlled in that area. So if you're having trouble, you should go ahead and get married so you don't just burn with desire, right? Now, Paul's not saying we should race into marriage haphazardly or thoughtlessly, or we should just pursue this just for that reason alone. He's not saying that's the only reason to get married. He's not even saying that's the primary reason to get married. He is saying that's a significant part of it, that that's a beautiful gift from God, and we're wired up for that. And so if you're interested in that, then marriage is the place for that, right? But Paul is not saying that that's the only part of marriage. Now, listen, guys, we need to listen to that, right? Because I think guys wrestle with this a little bit more than gals. That's not the only point of marriage, okay? And all the women in the room said, amen. So, right, Paul's saying that there's more to marriage than that, right? Paul gives a high view of marriage. He says there's so many good things about marriage. We know from other things that Paul wrote in this letter to that church and in other letters to other churches that he places a high view on marriage. Paul says, listen, husbands and wives should love each other. They should respect each other. They should show honor to each other. So it's not just about getting married so you don't burn with desire elsewhere. But we know that the people 2,000 years ago weren't a whole lot different than us. They had the same passions as we do. They had the same urges as we do. They had the same desires as we do. They were people like us. And so then, just as now, there was a lot of immorality. And God says to him through his messenger, Paul, he says, listen, I know all about that. I know all about your passions and desires because I created you and I created that. And I created that for you. But listen, I created a context for you to enjoy that. And that context is marriage. And if you put that event, that thing, in any other context, you will turn the blessing and the beauty into a curse. It'll damage you. It's dangerous for you. It'll damage you physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. So keep it in the right context. That's the point that Paul is making there. Now, the world doesn't understand that. The world doesn't practice that. Not anymore now than it did then, and it had it messed up then. But remember, God is for you, not against you. God's commands are for your benefit and your blessing. He's not against you. 
But there's something else going on in this passage, right? And, and you may have picked up on it as we were reading it. Something more than that issue. So I want us to go back to this. Check out what Paul says. He says, I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. Now, it's obvious that Paul's using some exaggerated language there, right? Uh, he, he's not wishing that we would abolish marriage. He's not saying that everyone should be single, right? Because he places a high view on marriage and procreation, and he says there's really good things about marriage. So we know he's using exaggerated language. Like we might say, everyone was at the Derby, except this year. Nobody was at the Derby. Never been. Thanks, COVID. But we would say, you know, we would use exaggerated language like that. So Paul's using this exaggerated language to say, hey, there's something more going on here. And he says, you know, I wish everyone were single. Single. Now, now we know from Paul's writings to the church at Corinth and to other churches that he places an incredibly high view on marriage, that God has a very high view of marriage, that God has great things for marriage. But what's striking is the high view that this passage places on singleness. That, that there's something holy and beautiful about singleness as well. So I want us to take a look at singleness today because oftentimes I think we look down on singleness. Almost everything in our society is structured around couples and marriage and family. Um, there's far more written and preached and taught and discussed about marriage than there is about singleness. And oftentimes when we find something written or preached or taught about singleness, it's usually just to get them married, right? Let's just hurry up and get those single people not single anymore. Let's take care of them, right? But that's not what God is saying in this passage. It's not what God has for us. Now, sadly, in our culture, and this is as true in the church as it is anywhere else, if someone is content in their singleness, we almost, it's as though we look down on them like it's a disorder. What's wrong with that guy? Oh, he's 40 years old and single? Oh, that's odd. Is he gay? What's wrong with that person? Oh, poor gal, she just hasn't found the one yet. Oh, I mean, the way we talk of it is just not encouraging to our single friends. And I think God is addressing that here, right? And this isn't just a new shift for us in our times. The same thing was happening in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago. And it wasn't just in the culture at large. It was some of the religious leaders. There were religious leaders who said things like, if a man is not married when he's 20 years old, he's in sin. Some of you young guys in here, you're on the verge of that, right? <laughs> there were religious writings that said a man who has no wife is no man at all. Really? Oh my goodness. So this passage stands in stark contrast to all of that. This passage puts a high view on marriage that accepts room that not everyone needs to be married. That you can be in God's will and not be married. I mean, after all, the person writing this passage was single, Paul, right? God was using his messenger, Paul, to write this. Paul, one of the greatest leaders the church has ever known, one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known. Paul was single. Many of the disciples were single. Many of the church leaders throughout history have been single. And hold on for this one, right? Because Jesus was single, right? So if you're single, you're in really good company. I mean, if you're in the company of Jesus... You're in good company, right? Jesus was single. So it must not be a sin to be single, right? 
So I want to challenge all the married people in the room. Let's not look down upon, speak down of our single brothers and sisters. But let's change maybe how we perceive that. Because it's not that marriage is good and singleness is bad, or that singleness is good and marriage is bad. You can be single or married and still be well within the will of God. You can love God, you can love other people, you can honor God and be married. And you can do all that as you're single also. One is not more spiritual than the other. And I want to remind us, right? Because people are single for different reasons, right? There are people who are single because they have no desire to be married, because they want to be single. And that's okay. And there are some people who are single because they have stinking very high expectations, right? Like they have just set like these, these standards that are super high. And I admire that. I think that's good. And there are some people who are single because somebody has wronged them. And so that person is single again. And we have compassion for that. And, and some people are single again because they were the one who wronged somebody else. And they regret it. And they hurt over that. And they're seeking to change that. And we have compassion for that. And we know that there are people who are single because death has stolen from them. And our hearts ache for those people. And, and it's not just the older ones, right? Like there are young people who have experienced that. And our hearts hurt for them and grieve for them. Because that's, that's just not the way they plan it, right? Some of you, and I want to speak to our single friends, some of you are single because things turned out differently than you thought they would, than you had hoped they would. But did you catch what Paul says about this, right? And, and, and I just want to, I want to say, listen, if you're single, well, I want you to hear us on this. You are not damaged goods. You are not broken, right? You, you are not a lesser person because you're not married. You are a child of the living God. You are his child. You are loved. You are cherished. You are valued. And you matter. And you have a place, a significant place in God's kingdom and a significant place right here in this church. So that's true of you, whether you are single or married, right? But did you catch the word Paul used to describe his singleness? He says, I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God, a gift. Paul refers to his singleness as a gift. Now, I get it. Like for the singles among us, I I know that your singleness might not always feel like a gift. In fact, it might more often feel like a curse. I I feel for those who want to be married or who were married and things have just not worked out the way you'd hoped. Like we're not saying that, oh, it's this beautiful gift and there's no pain with it. No, like there's a bit of, uh, of suffering that can come with it. Because we know that that there's loneliness that can come with this. It's not necessarily easy to be single and to be single in our culture where everything is written and talked of for couples and marriages. And and, and there's temptation, right? Temptation for the hootie hootie and and other challenges that come your way. And and I want you to know, like, loneliness is not a sin, right? You, You can... Love God, you can pursue him, you can embrace your season of singleness and honor God with it 
and still desire to not be single and not be in sin in that way. And, and like we recognize loneliness and temptation go hand in hand so often. So I, I want to encourage our singles, be careful, guard yourself, honor God with your body. Just like we mentioned earlier, there is a place for certain things and don't get that in the wrong places. Don't put it in the wrong context. It will not help you. It will only hurt you. So stay guarded and honor God in that way. And I want to remind you, like marriage is not the only place to take away loneliness. God has given us this beautiful gift as a family of God. Every guy should have other godly men in his life who spur him on and help him draw near to God. And that's whether you're single or you're married. And every woman should have godly women in her life to help push her near to God and help encourage her in her faith. And that's whether you're single or you're married. And so I would encourage all of us to connect to God's people. And beyond Sunday, like not just when we gather here for an hour or two each week, right? Like if this is the only place that you see the other people from this church, then you're missing out. And I'd go so far as to say you're doing it wrong, right? Like this should be one of the places but this should not be the only place. And that's why I'm such a big proponent of small groups. One of the best things you can do is join a small group and connect to others and connect during the week and build deep godly friendships with those other people and see the people from church in those places and let them encourage you and you can encourage them and you can spur one another on. So you need that. Now, I know if you're single, I know that's not the same as marriage. I get it. But it is good and it is something God has given to you. So I want to encourage you for that, right? And, and we should all be connecting with God. Let, let, let's not forget what Jesus told us, right? Right after Jesus gave us the mission to go teach the whole world about him, he said, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age, always. Like, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. You're never going to be abandoned or orphaned. I will always be right there with you. In fact, we know as believers that his Holy Spirit dwells within us, that God is always present amongst us, even when we are on our own. God is with us. And I know that's not quite the same as being married. But that's a really cool thing, that God is with us. And we should cling to that as a gift. But singleness can be a form of suffering. So let's acknowledge that suffering can also be a gift. That sometimes through our suffering, God allows us to identify with him in ways that we might not identify with him otherwise. Let's not forget that Jesus was the ultimate suffering servant for the rest of us. And so in our suffering, we can draw near to God. We can connect with him. And in that, God will birth hope deeper within our souls because God is always up to something. God always wants to grow us. God always wants to move us forward. God is always transforming us and changing us in every season with every circumstance. So don't miss out on what God might want to do through your season of singleness. Right? Now, if you're married, don't tune out because we're, we're going to be talking to some married folks here in a moment. Right? But don't miss out on what God might want to do through, through your season of singleness. And God may want to use your singleness as a gift to other people. Right? Because we know, like, in the world, we, we get these two competing things, right? We're, we're told that either on one side, we, we have to have someone to complete us, right? Like, we're, we're told, like, every romantic movie you see, right? Every rom-com is going to tell you, that person's going to complete you. 
Or you swing the pendulum the other way. And, and you have all these people telling us, like, you need no one to complete. You, you are totally self-sufficient. You are an island unto yourself. You are it. And the gift of singleness blows both of those things up. And says, well, no, 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 no. Well, like we know that God uses marriage to teach us about himself and to teach us the beauty of our relationship with God, right? We, we know that marriage teaches us a whole lot. That, that God has used marriage, and, and, and Paul even speaks of marriage in, in places where we see like marriage is this beautiful way that we learn about how God relates to us. That the relationship between wife and husband, it models the relationship between the church and Jesus we, as the church, are referred to as the bride of Christ, and, and Jesus is our heavenly groom. So, like, yeah, we, we see that. But did you know God can also use singleness and does use singleness to teach us about relationship there, too? Because either you got to have somebody complete you or you don't need anyone at all. And Christian singleness just explodes both of those and says, no, no, there's no other person who's ever going to complete you. No other person is going to fulfill you and satisfy you and complete you the way God can. And at the same time, you are not autonomous unto yourself. You do need someone. It's just not another person. It's your Savior. You are complete in Christ. Jesus will do for you. Jesus completes you. You are not okay on your own. You need God. And that's the picture we see through singleness when it's lived out biblically. Now, Paul goes on to say, I love this. He says, listen, if you have a wife... Don't end the marriage, right? Like, that's good advice. I, I just want to make sure. Is we're elevating singleness to the place that it should be viewed? Like, we're not diminishing marriage, right? Don't try to get out of your marriage. That, that's not what Paul's saying. And if you're in a marriage where you think you need to get out, come see us because we want to help you. Like, we're here for you, and, and we'll, we'll offer counsel free of charge. We'll just love you. We'll walk beside you. We'll, 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 we'll journey with you on that. But Paul says, don't, don't end the marriage. But if you don't have a wife... Don't spend all your energy trying to get one. And if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, that's not a sin either. It says, however, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I'm trying to spare you those problems. Now, marriage is a beautiful gift. Marriage is a great thing. And I could say a lot about it, but it does bring a certain amount of trouble. Marriage can bring a certain amount of suffering on its own, right? That's what Paul tells us. Marriage brings trouble. Now, here's the deal. If you're single, here's what you need to know. That every married couple sitting in here, and this is true at home too, like those married couples sitting on the couch, it just got really awkward because there's a lot of married people who want to be like, amen, woo, marriage brings trouble. Mm-hmm. You know why they're not doing that? You know why they're not elbowing the person next to them? Because they know they'll get in trouble if they do. That's part of the trouble of marriage, right? Like, I'm not saying marriage is terrible. Don't, no, 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 don't hear me on that. But there's a lot of married people who want to be like, uh-huh, there is trouble. It, it brings some issues. But they are terrified to say that because they know when, as soon as they get in the car, they're like, what were you amening about? What were you clapping for when he said trouble, right? And it's, uh, it'll bring even more trouble. So they just know they got to keep their mouth shut and pretend. But marriage does bring a certain level of trouble. And don't get me wrong. I could say so many great things about marriage. Beautiful, awesome, fantastic things about marriage. I'm married way up. My wife is beautiful. She is sweeter than honey, hotter than fire. She is, like, she's my way, way, way better half. But, right, like, I could say, like, Paul, if we put that passage up again, right, I could say a lot better things about marriage than just the fact that it's not a sin, right? Like, if you get married, that's not a sin. Like, we could say better things than marriage than that, right? And thankfully, Paul does in other places. But it can bring trouble. Like, you ever go to the 
the bookstore and you look in the marriage section, look at all the books written about marriage. You know what they're all talking about? How to navigate the trouble that marriage brings, right? That's why we have books after books. There are like thousands of them written about how to navigate the troubles of marriage. Because think about it. When you link your life inseparably to another person, you are multiplying, right? It's just a crazy thing where one plus one equals oneness in the Christian world, right? The two become one. That's their life. That's not their troubles, right? Their troubles multiply. They don't, they don't like stay flatlined at one. The troubles, right? Because you got your sin and your issues and your shortcomings, and you link that inseparably to somebody else's sin and their shortcomings. And all you do, you like multiply your sinfulness, your shortcomings, your flaws. And it's like, oh man, you, what are you doing with the toothpaste? How do you load the dishwasher? What do you mean we can't go hang out until 3 a.m. with her? Like, right? Like, there's there's things that come with that. Marriage brings certain amount of trouble. And this last year, as my wife and I were figuring out the budget, she suggested we not get cable. Okay, that seems wise. Do you know how hard it is to watch Chicago Bears football in Louisville, Kentucky, without cable? Trouble. Trouble. Now, to be a little more serious... The greatest joys I have known in the last 20 years since I've been married, the greatest joys have been amplified because I've been married. Like marriage has this great way of allowing for the highs to be much higher. But it also means that the lows are going to be lower. The, The greatest joys I've had were amplified so much because I had Jen to share them with. Not the least of which was being a dad. Is being a dad. But When trouble comes, sometimes it's just made that much worse. A few years ago, when I shipwrecked my life, the trouble was amplified. Because I didn't just shipwreck my life, but because Jen has chosen to link her life to mine, I shipwrecked hers as well and our kids. And so my burden during that season was way more because I was burdened not just for me. I was burdened even more for them. And and my burden and my trouble was heaped up in a way that if I'd been single, I I wouldn't have experienced that. And and the trouble that it brought Jen, the, the, the way she had to navigate that season, what she felt was way different as my wife than it would have been if she were just my friend. Marriage brings higher highs, but it also brings lower lows. And there's a certain level of trouble. Now, don't get me wrong. Marriage is awesome. It's beautiful. I recommend it. But we never want to jump into it blindly. Paul continues, and he says this. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. Says his interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or who's never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Now, we know this is true, right? Like, we're not telling you anything you don't know. Because if you are single and you got married buddies, you know you know that their their attention is divided because they have to be concerned about the other people in their house. And single people, that's part of your giftedness, right? If you're single, you want to go on a mission trip, you don't have to ask. You don't have to, like, work it out in the budget. Like, you just 
do it, right? You want to join a small group? You don't have to like plan the family schedule. You just do it. If you want to serve at the church and serve in a new way or switch where you're serving, you want to do something different, you want to go on a road trip, you want to go, you want to go out to eat somewhere, you don't have to like decide. Like you just get to do it. When you're married, you don't have to, or you have to check that. Now listen, if you're married and you're not checking with your spouse about those kinds of things, that might identify some of the trouble you might be experiencing. You probably should be checking with the other person because if you're married and you're living like you were single, that's trouble, all right? So <laughs> be careful of that. Now, Paul continues in this. He says, I'm saying all of this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. You know what Paul's actually getting at there is, is the pursuit. What are you pursuing? He says, listen, I, I want you, whether you're single or married, I, I want you to be free of distraction to serve God best. Our primary focus should be on pursuing the advancement of the gospel, should be on pursuing God's glory, should be on us pursuing God first and foremost in our lives. He says, that's what it's about. Do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So that means if you're pursuing a mate more than you're pursuing God, that you are planning for trouble if and when you get married. You'll just heap up more trouble for yourself. Because if you are pursuing a mate more than you're pursuing God, then you are elevating marriage above so I'm, I want you to hear me on this. Like, because what, what we often say is it's like it's God and then family and then friends and then work and then, you know, whatever else, right? Like we, we had that order. But what's, what often happens is we, we kind of mess up that order. And it's like there's, there's marriage and family and friends and work. And, and we'll just sprinkle some God in the mix, right? We just you know, they'll sprinkle God in. And like we'll kind of mix them around. But when we do that, we mess up the way it's supposed to be. We miss the point of marriage. Do you know the point of marriage according to this passage? The point of marriage is not, all right, hold on. The point of marriage is not for your happiness. It's not it. You don't get married to be happy. Like I hope you have a happy marriage. I hope that marriage is a benefit for you. That's an outcome. That's not the goal. Like that's not the point. You don't get married for your well-being. Like, that's not the point of it. That's not what Paul's saying. Like, I hope that's an outcome. I hope that's a benefit for you. I hope that's good. Marriage is not there for your comfort. Like, I hope that there is comfort that comes from being married. But that's not the goal. The point of marriage is so that you can serve God. You you get married because you serve God better together than you would separately. You get married because you serve Him better as a couple as a married person, than you would as a single person. That's what Paul's getting at. You, you get married because, for me, the gift of singleness, I, I wasn't good at it. And Jen makes my ministry better. Now, there's all kinds of other things going on with that, all, all kinds of other benefits, and there's beauty to it. But the purpose of marriage is so that we serve God together. Like, that's what marriage is for. And so whether you're single or you're married, the purpose is to pursue God, to honor God, to elevate God above everything else. And when we miss that, listen, when we miss that, we heap up trouble on ourselves because 
when we get that all out of whack and, and we pursue marriage more than we pursue God and we pursue a mate more than we pursue God, then we start putting expectations on that other person that God alone can fill. We, we start putting unrealistic and unfair expectations on the other person to do for us what God alone can do for us. Listen, no other person is going to complete you. No other person is going to fulfill you in that way. No other person is going to satisfy you in that way. God alone can do that. If you are in Christ, you are complete in Christ. And our satisfaction should come from being in Christ, being with Christ. Now, that's not diminishing the beauty of two people getting married and having a beautiful marriage, a thriving marriage. I advocate for that. But I've been doing pastoral counseling for over 20 years. And here's something I've learned. I've I've watched a lot of people who pursue marriage and pursue their mate above God. And they pursue marriage for the wrong reasons and the wrong ways. And it just amplifies the troubles they have. And here's something I've found to be true every time. That it is far better to be single and wish you were married than to be married and wish you were single. I'm going to let that sink in. Far better to be married and wish you were, far better to be single and wish you were married. That's a different kind of trouble than to be married and wish you were single. Now, if you're married and you're wishing you were single, come see us. Come see me. Because I'm, I'm going to help you with that. Our, our staff, we want to help you with that. We want to help you navigate that. And we want to help bring healing because we think there is a beautiful thing about marriage. But if you're single, you pursue God with everything you have. And it's not wrong to pursue a mate. Just don't get it out of order. You put all your energy into pursuing God, and you know the most attractive thing will be the fact that you're pursuing God. And you will attract the right kind of people. So don't don't confuse that. Don't get those things out of order. Friend, God designed you, whether you are married or single, God designed you to be complete and fulfilled and satisfied in him not in another person. So if you're married, pursue God together. And if you're single, pursue God with everything you've got. Because it's not. It's not like God and marriage. It's God up here, right? Like God is so far above it and everything else is down here, right? God is elevated so high above everything else. That's the way it should be. Single or married. It's God way up high. And then Everything else is secondary to that. And and if we confuse that, we miss that, we're just going to heap trouble on ourselves. Married or single, we will heap up trouble on ourselves when we don't put God in the right position, in the rightful position he demands and he deserves. So pursue God. That's essentially what it comes down to. As a child of God, everything else is secondary to that. Everything else is secondary to your pursuit of God. If you seek to honor your spouse more than you honor God, you're actually getting it out of whack. Honor God first. And by honoring God, you will honor your mate. Right? So pursue God with everything you have, with everything you are, with everything you do. Make that the pursuit of your life. Let's pray. God, we are grateful. We are grateful that you are the one who fulfills us and completes us and satisfies us. And God, we want to find our satisfaction in you. God, it's true that 
we will only be satisfied, most fully satisfied when you are glorified and honored in our lives. And when we honor you and we glorify you and praise you and worship you in the place you demand and deserve, then we find our deepest satisfaction. And so God, don't let us try and put those things on another person because no other person can do for us what you alone can do. You are Savior and Sustainer and you are God. And so Father, I pray for our single brothers and sisters today as they're feeling some of the sting of their singleness, as they're feeling, for whatever reason, they're single. God, I pray that you would steal away the loneliness. You would give them companionship with you and with others in the church, that you would heal areas of their life where they've been hurt and wounded, that you would fill up the void in their life that they have. And God, if it's your will, that you would provide a godly mate for them at just the right time. But God, no matter what, whether we're single, whether we're married, I pray for all of us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you, pursuing you above everything else. I pray for our marriages to be strengthened by being unified in a single, singular pursuit of you. God, I pray for all those who are struggling in marriage, that they would seek help, that they would seek counsel, and that you would redeem and restore and heal. God, grant forgiveness Grant hope, grant, grant a resurgence of love. And God, we want you to be honored and glorified through all this. And so that's our prayer, that you would get the glory from our lives. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.